carols. Uh, it fills my heart with joy. I hope it fills your heart with joy. Uh, there's not a lot of that in the world today, huh? Not a lot of joy out there. Uh, but we as Christians have every reason to have joy because of who God is, and especially as we think upon the Christmas story and how God moved in such a, a mighty way, a miraculous way, uh, for the glory of his name and the good of his people. I, I hope uh, your heart is being filled with joy as you, as you ponder, ponder those truths. I think there's also much to be joyful about how the Lord is moving here at Orangeville Baptist Church. God is always on the move, always at work for the good of his name and the good of his people. Uh, and he's doing much here in, in our church body and in our community. Uh, in particular, I'm thinking of uh, today and the brainstorming session that we have. Uh, just recall with me that a couple weeks ago we had all those community leaders here. Uh, giving us all sorts of different ideas and ways that we can be helping. Um, then today is our brainstorming session where we want to kind of uh, think about all that we've heard and think about all sorts of different initiatives and ways how that we can be engaged. Uh, remember our mission is to be saturating Barry County and Allegan County, every nook and cranny with what? With the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, and so that's, that's a, a great mission the Lord has given us. Uh, and I, th I think today is just a great step forward in that direction. Hopefully one of many, many, many steps. But I hope you're rejoicing with me in that way. So do please plan on staying. That's immediately after the service. It'll be a, a great time of, uh, hopefully a fun time of just kind of dreaming together with the Lord. Also next Sunday, uh, we are planning our, our outdoor worship service. Uh, so please plan for that. Bring a chair and bring a meal. Uh, that's, that's next Sunday. Uh, out, I believe we're doing it out, out there is, is the plan where we did it last time. Also, September 26th, I announced this last week. And it's been going out in the email that goes out, uh, the Better Together newsletter. Uh, but September 26th, we are planning a marriage retreat here at the church. It's a Saturday. It'll be roughly from 9 a.m. to about 9 p.m., uh, again, here at the church, it's, it's offered free uh, for our church and our community, anyone who uh, would like to come to it. The theme for the marriage retreat is a bunch of C's. Uh, it's about communication, conflict, and cultivating romance. Uh, we'll have three sessions that, that talk about those, those three issues. Uh, it should be a great time together. The speakers for that day will be Ron and Sherry Alchin. Uh, they are from the Biblical Counseling Center in Chicago, Illinois. I think I announced last week that between the two of them, uh, their son Tim, who was here, if you remember, roughly, was that a year ago already? A little while back he was here. Uh, but he, he, he told me on the phone that between his mom and dad and all the years they've been doing counseling, for like 50 years they've been counseling, almost all day, every day, between them they have 100,000 hours of counseling. Uh, and a lot of it has been focused on marital uh, counseling. So that's, that's going to be September 26th. I hope you'll mark that down in your calendars. Whether your marriage is doing great, whether your marriage is struggling or somewhere in between, it's a great day to be here. Uh, we all need counseling. <laughs> we all need help. It is not a dirty word. Uh, it, it's, it's a good thing. It's good to, good to be helped in that way. Also remember that for the month of October, uh, we've set that aside as our month for missions. Uh, we're also firing up Sunday school in the month of October, so that means a slight time change. Uh, Sunday school will be starting at 9.30 and run till 10.15. 
on the morning service will kick off at 10.30 and run till whenever the preacher stops preaching. <laughs> I was going to say noon, but what is it about noon, huh? That means, that means nothing to me. My dad used to always take his watch off and put it right here on his pulpit, and he'd say, this means absolutely nothing. <laughs> uh, but that's, that's October. It's our missions month. And for Sunday school in October, it's just going to be everyone's in here. Uh, no classes for children and that, and that kind of thing. It'll just be adults, children in here. We'll have a presentation from a missionary. Uh, we're filling that up rather rapidly. Just a couple Sunday schools left. Most of the Sundays are taken, I believe. We're also, for the month of October, asking everyone to kind of give a little above and beyond to the missionaries. We'll have a love offering that will be taken uh, each Sunday for our missionaries. And what we'll do at the end of October is all the money that's come in, we'll disperse that equally uh, to all of our missionaries. Just a way to love on them uh, and bless them and encourage them as they labor for the Lord. Uh, that's all I have for announcements. Uh, I believe Dave has a quick one for coming up in a couple weeks. Do you need this? No. I don't think so. Josiah Maybe. says yes. Josiah says yes. Listen to Josiah. I'll hold it here. Uh, in two weeks, so next week is the outdoor service. Uh, hopefully, no rain and everything. But in two weeks, we're going to do something that I've done before. It's called the Worship Vision Morning. And we're going to talk about uh, all different ways you can worship God. Um, in today's day and age, we, when someone says worship, we often think of singing, and that's not the biblical definition of worship. So we're going to talk through some of that stuff. Josiah is going to preach, right? You, you ready yet? Not quite. No, not quite. Okay. But we're going to do um, a little bit of uh, afterwards, after the sermon, we're going to do uh, like a lunch thing, bring your lunch or something. I forgot what we're going to do. Anyways, we'll have, but afterwards, we're going to have like a little roundtable discussion where I'll throw out some questions, and then we'll open it up for some questions, and we'll, we'll talk through some issues. And in this, you get an idea of what we want to do for not just the singing part of worship, but other parts of worship, and it ties into the book, Loving Your Community. So you'll find out more information next week. It also kind of serves as a kickoff for Sing, right? Because Sing starts that next day uh, that Josiah's been announcing for a few weeks now. Uh, so that Worship Sunday, Worship Vision Sunday, is kind of a kickoff for Sing to get, get our hearts thinking along, along those lines. Uh, but that's it for announcements. At this time, we're going to go before the Lord of God in prayer. Heavenly Father, it truly does give us just such joy uh, to think about uh, Christmas and uh, the great work that you accomplished uh, through your Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, born of a virgin. Uh, what an amazing miracle that is, Father. That in many ways, it just it blows our mind, uh, it takes, takes our breath away. And, and the way how you orchestrated so many events uh, for, for that perfect time, born at just the right time, when the fullness of time came, born of a virgin, born under the law, to redeem us from the law. Our, our hearts are just in all of that. Uh, I hope our hearts, Father, that you would work in our hearts, that we are just increasingly uh, filled with joy as, as we think about that. Uh, forgive us, Lord, that uh, we sometimes these truths, we... 
uh, don't think on them enough. We only think about them for a, a couple weeks out of the year. But Lord, these truths are so fundamental to the Christian faith, so essential to the Christian faith. Lord, help us this morning as we're reminded about them just to see that and to understand uh, that this, this really is where Christianity stands or falls. Uh, and I just ask that you would give us eyes to see that, hearts and minds to understand it. And as, as the Word of God is preached, that our hearts would uh, just come to accept it and also put into practice the change that, that needs to happen as a result as we think about the virgin birth. And Lord, I uh, just thank you for the way you're at work in ways that we see and in countless ways that we can't see. We thank you that you're, you're always uh, accomplishing your plan and your purpose. We thank you that it can never be thwarted, it can never be stopped, uh, that, that you never have to stop and rethink things or go to plan B or C. You don't have any such thing, Lord. You've had plan A, you've had it from eternity past, and you're bringing all things uh, in accordance perfectly how you would have them to be. And we thank you for the hope that that gives us, again, the joy that that gives us, uh, the confidence that that gives us in you. And Lord, we pray in this this time that we are in as a nation with just a whole lot of uncertainties about a whole lot of things, uh, Lord, that this would be a time where many uh, come to see the rock-solid hope and faith and foundation that is found in you. That this would be a time where that, that sparks revival, first for the people of God, uh, that we would just come alive to the truth of your word, the glory of your name, the glory of your son, the, the glory of the, the truth of, of the word, that it would just, uh, that we would hunger and thirst after, that we would have an insatiable hunger and thirst after your word, and that that would overflow into our community and overflow all around the world. And Lord, we, th we ask for our church as today as we have the brainstorming session, that, that you would lead that, that you would guide and direct that, we don't want to take one step uh, without you. Uh, if you're not with us, Lord, we, we want to be uh, where you want us to be. So we're asking that you would lead that, that the ideas that, that come up, uh, that you would just give us wisdom uh, in, in regards to them. But not just wisdom, but that you would also just put a fire in our hearts uh, to be an army of servants who are willing to, whatever the cost, uh, to, to love others with the love of Christ, uh, and to have that salt and light influence in our community, uh, that we would be making a difference that can't be ignored as, as we, an army of servants, raise up out of love for you and our community to serve in any way that we can uh, so that we can be getting gospel help and hope out there, so we can be throwing the seeds out there and watering the seeds and that you might give the increase. And Lord, we think of the community in which we live, and we know that school starts up soon. We, we pray for our, our, our school teachers, uh, administrators, officials, give them uh, wisdom and direction as they prepare. We pray for our children to be, to be safe at school. Uh, we pray for, uh, again, for the teachers as they're setting up their classrooms, working on their curriculum, that you would uh, help, help them. Uh, we, we think also of our, just our local elected officials. We thank you for them. Help them to uh, make decisions that are right and, and in, your, in your sight. And we think of our, our sister churches here locally. 
Uh, we thank you for uh, the oneness that we have with, with many local churches who, who preach the same gospel, who preach the same word. We pray for just a great work of your spirit, not just in our own church, Lord. We know that uh, we don't have the corner on all this, Lord. We, we thank you for these, these sister churches. We pray that you do a great work in their churches, that, that this would be a time of joy for them, a time of growth for them, uh, a time where your spirit just moves in mighty ways for your namesake. When we think of the country in which we live, we thank you for those that you have established an authority over us. Again, we ask that they would do what's right in your sight. Uh, we do pray for wisdom for them. Uh, I don't think anyone in this room envies their position. Uh, Lord, it's, it's a lose-lose situation in so many ways. But Lord, we pray that they would just act with wisdom, act with patience, act, act in a way that, that honors and pleases you. And the world in which we live, we, we know that you're the God of the nations. But this morning we lift up to you, Greg and Emily. Uh, we thank you for them. We thank you for the time they were able to have here in the States to see family, to see friends. Uh, we do pray for, uh, for them as they travel back, that, that as they uh, continue to minister, that you would just do a great work through them, that many would be coming to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ, uh, that their churches would be growing much in, in the grace and knowledge of Jesus Christ. We, we know from their newsletter, they, they both express a desire to have children. So Lord, we pray if it be your will that you would, that you would move in that way also. Uh, that you would just encourage them as they seek to get their house finished, that they would get all the items that they need. And Lord, we thank you that that's going, seems like even a little bit faster than they originally thought, Lord. So we praise you for that. And again, we just thank you for all these things. And we pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. <clears throat> well, if you would, please turn with me. We're actually going to have two different texts that we're looking at this morning. Uh, so we're going to start with Matthew chapter 1. If you want to turn with me to Matthew chapter 1, uh, verses 18 through 25. Then the other text will be where we were last week in Luke chapter 1, verses 34 and 35. But we'll start with Matthew chapter 1, uh, verses 18 through 25. And God's word says to us, Now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. And her husband Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. <clears throat> when Joseph woke from sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife but knew her not until she had given birth to a son, and he called his name Jesus. <clears throat> then if you would flip over quickly uh, to Luke chapter 1. You remember last Sunday <clears throat> we looked at these verses together, but this morning we're going to focus on verses 34 and 35 and what they teach us about the virgin birth. Luke, Luke chapter 1, verses 34 and 35. <clears throat> And here the scripture say, Mary said to the angel, How will this be, since I am a virgin? 
And the angel answered her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. <clears throat> so a question to kind of get our minds uh, thinking uh, on, on the virgin birth. Uh, if you were, to a were able to interview uh, anyone, you had your pick from, from all of history, uh, who, who is it you would want to interview? Uh, and, and I ask that question because if, if you've heard of Larry King, the talk show host, uh, he was once asked by an interviewer that same question. If you had your pick from all of history and you could ask them uh, anything that you wanted to ask them, who, who would that be? Who, who would you want to talk to? And his answer was Jesus Christ. And perhaps that's the same answer many of you, many of you would give, Jesus Christ. Uh, but the questioner paused and, and asked him a follow-up question and said, well, what is a question you would like to ask him? And, and Larry King's answer to that was, well, I would ask him if he was indeed virgin-born. Because the answer to that would define history for me. See, Larry King gets it. Uh, he gets, if the virgin birth is true, then, then everything changes. And quite honestly, you don't have to look very far to find people telling you that the virgin birth is actually unimportant. We're told that it's, it's unscientific. It's a legend. It's a myth. It's not true. It's a fable. It's not important. This has been especially true in the last 150 years. In the last 150 years, liberal theology has grown immensely and had a great impact. And the great quest of liberal theology has been to invent a Jesus who is stripped of all supernatural power and deity and authority. One of the more prominent liberal theologians, and perhaps you've heard of him before, was Rudolf Bultmann. Uh, Rudolf Bultmann is popular for having came up with an approach to the Bible he called uh, demythologization. De That's a hard word to say. To demythologize God's word. Uh, he employed an approach uh, to the Bible in saying that the Bible is full of myth. And therefore the duty of the interpreter is to demythologize it. To find the myth and take it out of the Bible. And not surprisingly, uh, he would say the virgin birth and the resurrection of Jesus is myth and should be removed from the Bible, that we might find the real Jesus. Very influential. Uh, following in his footsteps was a man, perhaps you've heard of him also, was Harry Emerson Fosdick. Uh, Fosdick threw down the gauntlet in New York City on May 22, 1922, uh, when he preached his famous sermon, Shall the Fundamentalist Win? That's quite the title, huh? Shall the Fundamentalist Win? In it, he challenged the inspiration of Scripture, the Scriptures God breathed, but he also divided the church into two camps, the fundamentalists and those who have been enlightened. The fundamentalists are those who would believe in the resurrection, but also the virgin birth, that that is a historical fact. The other camp, the enlightened Christians, are those who no longer obligate themselves to believe the Bible to be true, and therefore discard the biological miracle of the virgin birth, but still consider themselves to be Christians. And that raises the question, 
can you deny the virgin birth? Or more, ac- more, more accurately, the virgin conception. We say virgin birth all the time. You know, that's, that's common language. That's probably what I'll be saying all day long. But really, it's the virgin conception. As far as we know, the gestation for Jesus was the same for any other uh, person who's ever been born. He, the process was, was the same. What was different, what was unique, what was miraculous was the conception, the virginal conception of Christ. Uh, but for the, the sake of uh, common language, I'll probably consider to refer to it as the virgin birth. But, but can you deny the virgin birth and still consider yourself a Christian? What do we lose if, in the words of uh, Fosdick, we, quote, discard the biological miracle? That's what I want to think about this morning. The significance of the virgin birth. And it's my hope in in doing so that that our eyes will be opened uh, to the central importance of the virgin birth that will be in awe of of the miracle. And that we'll see that it's it's a truth to be remembered more than just in a few songs uh, for a couple weeks out of the month in December. It's it's very, very easy, whether we do this on purpose or even if if we think this way, that the virgin birth is nice, but it doesn't matter that much. But that's a huge mistake. And that, that's the argument I want to make this morning. I want us to see what we lose if we ditch the virgin birth. But before we do that, first things first, what's the what and the how of the virgin birth? So again, looking at Matthew chapter 1, verses 18 through 25, and Luke 1, 26 to 38, we see the what and the how of the virgin birth. So Matthew 1, 18 says, Now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. Uh, Before they came together means before they had sexual relations. So that's the what. Jesus' conception in the womb of Mary was not the result of sexual relationship. How then did she become pregnant? Well, that's the how, right? The supernatural work or influence of the Holy Spirit upon her. That's what it says in our text. She was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. Now, Joseph initially knows neither the what nor the how, right? He knows neither the what nor the how, and so he naturally assumes, just like you and I would have, that Mary has been what? Well, she's been unfaithful. And he's a righteous man. He's a man of conviction and faithfulness to God and his word. So he he decides, I must obey scripture and and divorce Mary. But because he also loved Mary, he did not want to disgrace her. He chose to go with a private divorce before only two or three witnesses. In doing so, he shows he's faithful to the law, but he's also a compassionate man. Justice and mercy meet in Joseph. But before he's able to do that, God changes his mind, right? We read in Matthew 1, verse 20, that as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife. Why? For that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. Mary has not been unfaithful, in other words. Rather, her child has been supernaturally conceived by the Holy Spirit. Luke goes into more detail. Uh, Luke tells us in Luke chapter 1, verse 34, that after the angel told Mary, after the angel Gabriel told Mary that she would bear a son, Mary said, How will this be since I am a virgin? 
And the angel answered her, The how, the Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. Now I want to focus for a minute on that phrase, overshadow you. The Holy Spirit will overshadow you. That's a figure of speech for the presence and miraculous activity of God. Uh, it recalls, if, if you just think in your mind with me for a few seconds, it recalls how the Holy Spirit overshadowed the earth in the work of creation. Remember that in Genesis 1? So the Holy Spirit there overshadowed the waters of the earth, overshadowed the miraculous activity of creation. The Spirit also was there at the Exodus when he overshadowed the tabernacle and the Lord of glory, the cloud of glory, the Shekinah glory. Later, the Spirit would overshadow Jesus, anointing him for ministry. And we know it was, it was by the Spirit that Jesus made atonement for our sins, and it was by the Spirit he was raised from the dead. And it's also the, Jesus, or the, the Spirit that Jesus sent to overshadow the church. And it's by the power of the Holy Spirit, his presence, that we serve the Lord Jesus today. And here in our text, we see the Holy Spirit overshadowing Mary to enable her to give birth to the Son of God. So that is the what. Joseph was not the father of the child. Uh, Jesus was not conceived by the normal uh, biological process. Uh, Jesus would go through the process of birth, but he would differ from all of humanity in that he did not have a human father. His conception, the how, was by the power of the Holy Spirit. This is a miracle that Christians have confessed from day one. The earliest and longest lasting belief of the historic church has been that Christ was born of a woman who was a virgin. The oldest creed, the Apostles' Creed, written in the 2nd century, plainly states this, that Jesus was, quote, conceived by the Holy Spirit and born of the Virgin Mary. There's also the Nicene Creed, written in 4th century uh, AD, where, they, where, where we say, I believe in one Lord Jesus Christ, who for our salvation came down from heaven and was incarnate by the Holy Spirit of the Virgin Mary and was made man. There's also what's known as the Chalcedonian Creed, which was written in the 5th century, which says this, We all, with one accord, Teach men to acknowledge one and the same Son, our Lord Jesus Christ, begotten for us men and for our salvation of Mary the Virgin, the God-bearer. And that's just a sampling. You can go all through church history and find creedal statements, church statements, all the way through uh, that we believe in the virgin birth. Up until about 150 years ago, that truth was unchallenged. And again, I talked to you about liberal theology and Boltman and, and others. There was a story one day about C.S. Lewis, uh, who was one day sitting in his office in the English department where he worked, and a friend came to visit him, and this friend was an unbeliever. He just kind of wandered in. And they're there, and they're talking, and as they're talking, they can hear in the background some carol carolers below in the courtyard singing Christmas carols, and as the two were speaking, they, they could hear a Christmas carol that contained these words about Jesus' virgin birth, words that you have sung many times before, where it says, Late in time, behold him come, offspring of a virgin's womb. His unbelieving friend said to C.S. Lewis, Man, isn't it great that we know better than they did? 
And C.S. Lewis said, well, what do you mean? Well, his friend said, isn't it good that we know more than they did? And Lewis said, I'm afraid you'll have to explain. And again, the friend said, well, isn't it good that we now know that the virgins, they don't have babies? Isn't it great that we know that? And C.S. Lewis looked at him and said, don't you think they knew that? It's the whole point. It's the whole point. It's the foundation uh, for much of our faith. Uh, so that is the what and the how of the virgin birth. Mary was not, or Jesus was conceived in the womb of Mary not by sexual relationship. No man was involved. Jesus had a human mother, but no human father. And the how is by the work of the Holy Spirit. And this is a miracle of the highest order. This is a miracle of the great power of God. A miracle that I've kind of talked about the what and the how, but really it's a mystery, isn't it? But a miracle that's so pivotal to our faith. And so that's why I want to consider point number two, what we lose if we ditch the virgin birth. If that's the what and the how, if this is what the Bible teaches about the virgin birth, and what, what's the big deal about it? Why, why spend a whole message on it? Why does, why does the Word of God put so much emphasis on it? And what I want to do here is, is take a page from the Apostle Paul. If you remember in 1 Corinthians 15, uh, Paul has that, that powerful section where he kind of works through, well, what if the resurrection isn't true? It's, it's kind of a terrifying passage, actually, because if the resurrection isn't true, he has like list after list after list after list of, well, if Jesus wasn't, isn't risen from the dead, here's what that actually means for us. And he kind of says, obviously, there's, there's no salvation from sin. We're all fools. We're, we're wasting our lives. That, that kind of stuff is what he says. And so I want to take a page from Paul and say, well, what if Jesus uh, was not born from a virgin? What, what do we lose? And there's a lot that we could say. Uh, I actually have five of them. I, I think in, in your notes I only put four, uh, but there's five. I actually had a whole lot more. I just whittled it down and... This morning I decided, you know, I'm going to give five instead of four. So if your notes, if you're using the notes in the bulletin, that's why that's different. Uh, but the first thing we lose if we ditch the virgin birth, if we say that it's non-essential to the Christian faith, is we lose the trustworthiness of Scripture. Theologian Millard Erickson writes, if we do not hold to the virgin birth, despite the fact that the Bible asserts it, then we have compromised the authority of the Bible, and there is in principle no reason why we should hold to any of its other teachings. Thus, rejecting the virgin birth has implications reaching far beyond the doctrine itself. And he's right. If Scripture gets it wrong here, then the authority of the Bible is gone. Consider the virgin birth that's prophesied in the Old Testament. Recall the words of Matthew 1.22 where we read this, All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, a virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. And that prophecy that, that Matthew is quoting is found in Isaiah chapter 7, verse 14. And it's actually, Isaiah 7 is part of a larger section in Isaiah chapter 7 through 12 that's called, quite commonly, as the book of Emmanuel. And if you remember the context for that prophecy given in Isaiah chapter 7, verse 14, you have King Ahaz, and he is in trouble. King Ahaz is in trouble. He's refused to join forces with Damascus, or your translation might say Syria, and Israel. Uh, and he's, the reason why they have asked him to join forces with them is because there's this, this rising superpower known as Assyria. 
And so Damascus and Israel come to King Ahaz and they say, let's join forces against this superpower of Assyria. And he, he declines that because he has already joined forces with Assyria. He's already done that. So now Damascus and Israel are coming to teach him a lesson. But Isaiah the prophet comes to meet King Ahaz to tell him, you know, there's another way. He tells him God will protect him from all three, Damascus, Israel, and Assyria. And Isaiah then told Ahaz he should ask for a sign to confirm what God is saying to him. Ahaz, pretending to be humble, declines the offer, but God gives him a sign anyways. And that sign is the virgin birth. And the virgin birth signifies to Ahaz and the people of God that they could trust God that Damascus and Israel and Assyria, nor any other oppressor, will ever be able to destroy God's people. God will preserve Judah. He will preserve his people through the Messiah that will be born of a virgin. And Matthew sees that, he understands that, and he draws the connection. But remember, I told you, Isaiah 7 is part of a larger section in Isaiah, Isaiah 7 through 12, called the Book of Emmanuel. And so we can, we can look at a few other passages in Isaiah. So, for example, in Isaiah chapter 9, we have a very familiar but yet powerful words where we read, For to us a child is born, to us a son is given. What child? What son? The virgin son. That son. So to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders. And he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and peace there will be no end. He will reign on David's throne. Remember, Joseph is what? The son of David. And over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on and forever, the zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. And then in Isaiah chapter 11, verses 1 and 11, we, we find this, where we read, A shoot will come up from the stump of Jesse. From his roots a branch will bear fruit. The Spirit of the Lord will rest on him. And the result of that is that the earth will be full of the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. So I'm just trying to help you see that the sweep of Isaiah's argument is that this child, this virgin child to be born, is, is the child upon whom the son, the son upon whom the, the shoulder of the government shall rest. And it is through his ministry that we shall find a universal knowledge of the Lord throughout the whole earth in which uh, Matthew, i got that fly buzzing around me, it's very distracting, in which Matthew wants us to see that Jesus is the fulfillment. Jesus is the child, he is the, the one who's born of the virgin, and he is the one who's ultimately going to rule and reign on an entirely renewed earth and a kingdom upon God, uh, of God upon the earth. And there's more. <laughs> there's more. In Luke, the angel Gabriel tells Mary this child is to be born by her, will be given the throne of the father David, just like I said in Isaiah. That's, that's telling us that Jesus is the king who will fulfill the hopes and promises of Israel. He is the promised Messiah that Abraham is told that through him all the families of the earth will be blessed. And there's still more. We can back up even farther, all the way back to Genesis chapter 3, verse 15. We can back up there, which is often called the Proto-Evangelium, which just simply means the first mention of the Gospel. And quite honestly, Genesis 3.15 is the entire Bible in seed form. As you read your way through the Bible, it's all Genesis 3.15 growing and, and unfolding before your eyes. 
It's really quite the thing to think about and see. But in Genesis 3.15, the first mention of the gospel, Eve is promised by God that her seed, her child, will crush the serpent. And Eve is promised in the early days of history, on, on one of the darkest days of human history, that the hope of a coming deliverer, deliverer who would rescue from the tyranny of the evil one. This is all bound up in the virgin birth. But, if Jesus is not born of the virgin, if his conception was normal, everything I just said is a lie. The Bible's unreliable. It's nothing more than a collection of man-made opinions and myths. You, you see, if, if Luke and Matthew are writing pure fiction, then we cannot trust them. We can't. And if we can't trust them, then where and when can we trust the Bible? That's the real dilemma of liberal theology in the so-called Jesus Seminar. Will the real Jesus please stand up? That's what they're on this quest for, this real Jesus. Take the myth out of the Bible and well, can we find the real Jesus? And so they keep taking all the stuff out of the Bible they don't think belongs there. But once you start down the path of some of it's not true, there's the domino effect. And that's what you need to see. It's either all true or none of it is. There's, there's no in-between. So if the Bible gets the miracle wrong, then why should we trust its claim about other supernatural events? If, if the Bible gets the, the virginal conception wrong, why should we believe in a miracle like, say, the resurrection? It's all up for grabs. So what do we lose if we ditch the virgin birth? We lose the authority and trustworthiness of the Bible. That's terrifying. The second thing we lose is we, we lose or we deny that Jesus was truly human and truly divine. We deny that Jesus was truly human and truly divine if we ditch the virgin birth. Well, how's that one work out? It kind of goes like this. The virgin birth reveals to us how Jesus really was one of us, fully human. The virgin birth is how Jesus was made like us in every way, as it says in the scriptures. Jesus really did partake of flesh and blood. He didn't just appear to be a human. He really was 100% human. But if he's not born of a woman, then how can that be true? How can he be human if he's not born of a human? What is more, if Jesus was born through the sexual union of a human father and mother then we have every reason to question his full divinity. If he was not conceived by the Holy Spirit, but rather was conceived by Joseph or, or whoever it would have been, then he's not 100% God. His virgin birth, his divine conception by the Spirit, these things were necessary for his incarnation, for him to be fully God and fully man. Only the virgin birth preserves the humanity and the deity of Jesus Christ. His conception by the Spirit points to his deity, his birth from a woman, his humanity. So as we often say, he's one person with two natures, fully God, fully man. So what do we lose if we ditch the virgin birth? We lose his humanity and we lose his divinity. Number three, we deny the sinlessness of Christ. If we ditch the virgin birth, we deny that Christ is sinless. Remember, the Bible is very, very plain on this, as unpopular as this might be. 
the Bible is very, very plain of that all beings, all human beings, are guilty. And it's an inherited guilt. It's a guilt that we've received from Adam. A corrupt moral nature we've all received from Adam. Romans chapter 5 verse 12 says, Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man, and death through sin, so death spread to all men, because all sinned. We all sinned in Adam. From Adam on, every human father begets a son or daughter with a sin nature. Sinners beget sinners. Always. Always. So if Joseph was the real father of Jesus, or if Mary was sleeping around with someone, like Joseph initially thought, then Jesus is not spotless, he is not innocent, he is not holy. If Jesus was conceived like any other person, then it follows he inherited the same sinful nature that every person, human being, has inherited. As such, he would have sinned like every other man. As a result, he cannot offer a perfect sacrifice on behalf of his people. There would be no perfect life to impute to anyone else because he would not have been capable of living the perfect life that God demands. Therefore, there would be no acceptable sacrifice for sin because he would have been guilty himself. Denying the virgin birth is to deny that he is sinless. Which only leads to this, number four, we deny salvation itself. There's no gospel. There's no good news. There's no hope. There's no forgiveness. The gospel and salvation is gone. That's just simply taking the logic to its natural resting point. If all of that is true that we've talked about, then Jesus was just like everybody else. He's no Messiah. No hope. And then the fifth one that I want to add is what we deny also is that God is all-powerful. That's really the emphasis of Luke chapter 1, if you're, if you're still there. Uh, remember, Mary has that question, how can this be, since I'm a virgin? And basically the answer from Scripture is, well, nothing's impossible with God. So if we deny the virgin birth, then suddenly something is impossible for God. I love Luke 1.37, nothing will be impossible with God. How bold, then, to come to the scriptures and say, well, the virgin birth doesn't matter. Because in effect you're saying that God is limited in his power. There's more I could say, but I, I don't dare do it because it's very discouraging <laughs> to, to think about. I hope that you're seeing the great danger of ditching the virgin birth. It is not a standalone doctrine. It's not a, a silo doctrine. It's not a side issue. It is an irreducible part of the biblical revelation about the person and work of Jesus Christ. It's not merely a nice Christmas story that's non-essential, that doesn't really matter that much. I hope what you're seeing is if we jettison it, then we, we jettison the Bible we jettison Jesus as the perfect God-man. We jettison Jesus as being sinless. We jettison the gospel. And we jettison the power of God. One person summarizes it this way. If the virgin birth of Jesus is untrue, and the story of Jesus changes greatly, 
We would have a sexually promiscuous young woman lying about God's miraculous hand in the birth of her son, raising that son to declare he was God and then joining his religion. But if Mary is nothing more than a sinful con artist, then neither she nor her son, Jesus, should be trusted. But then he says this, because both the clear teachings of scripture about the beginning of Jesus' earthly life and the character of his mother are at stake, we must contend for the virgin birth of Jesus Christ. I couldn't agree more, and that's what this sermon is. I'm contending for the virgin birth of Jesus Christ. We must contend for the virgin birth of Jesus Christ. Do you agree? I believe that the virgin birth is what's called a closed fist issue. Not an open hand issue. I find that to be a very helpful way to think through uh, the Word of God and, and its, its doctrines. of The distinction between what we would call, what Fazde called the fundamentals, or what we would call central doctrines. And those doctrines where disagreement is acceptable. <clears throat> open hand issues, where we kind of hold them with an open hand, are things like uh, disagreement over the end times. Not that that doctrine is unimportant. It is important. But I think we can disagree on some of the things about the end times and still call each other brother and sister in Christ. Closed fist issues are much more essential to the faith. Issues, issues such as Jesus saving us from sin because he's sinless and issues such as Jesus is fully God and fully human, those are closed fist issues. Issues. If you, what we mean by that is if, if you reject those doctrines or if you tamper with them, you're tampering with the gospel. You're tampering with our hope. You're ta tampering with salvation. You're tampering on crucial issues that change everything. And since those doctrines, his sinlessness and his humanity and his deity, stand on the virgin birth, then the virgin birth is a closed fist issue. It's worth contending for. It's worth thinking about. It's worth praising God for more than just a few weeks out of the year. And I hope as you're hearing this, I hope that your heart is starting to sing a little bit about the glory and wonder of the virgin birth. So let me just reverse it for a second. Jesus was conceived in the womb of the Virgin Mary by the Holy Spirit. What does that mean? Well, that means you can have confidence in the Word of God. That means the Bible is not myth. It is not legend. The Bible is not fiction. The Bible is reliable. It is true. It is authoritative. There is one thing that does not change. It is the Word of God. It doesn't change. The world around us is in chaos. We don't know who or what to believe when we turn on the news, right? Your head's maybe spinning. Uh, we can't trust the facts given us by politicians. Statistics can be manipulated. Photographs are faked. Magazine covers are airbrushed. Our teachers, our friends, our science, our studies, even our eyes and our feelings, they all can deceive us. But when God speaks, we can trust Him. And we can know that His Word stands forever sure. God's Word is firmly fixed in the heavens, and there is no limit to its perfection. If you think to yourself this morning, I need to know what is true. 
I need to know what is true about me, about people, about the world, about the future, about God. Then come to God's word. It is true. And let it drown out all the other voices that are competing for you. Jesus was conceived in the womb of the Virgin Mary by the Holy Spirit. What does that mean? That means more than a prophet or teacher or martyr, Jesus is and forever will be fully God and fully man. Jesus is not one-third God and the rest man, or however you wanted to divide that up. Everything that is essential to God being God is true of Jesus, and everything that is the essence of humanity is true of Jesus. Because Jesus is God, he is all-powerful, he cannot and will not be defeated. Because Jesus is human, he experienced the same things that you and I experience. He identifies with you. He is our great sympathetic high priest. We can relate to him. He's not far off. He's involved. We, we can't complain that God doesn't know what you're going through. He does through firsthand experience. He's fully God and fully man. Well, Jesus was conceived uh, in the womb of the Virgin Mary by the Holy Spirit. What does that mean? That means Jesus is our sinless Savior. Because he is born of Mary, he is truly human. Because he is conceived of the Holy Spirit, he is fully God. He is free from sin. Uh, Luke chapter 1, verse 35 uh, says, The angel answered her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore the child to be born will be called what? Holy. Holy, the Son of God. Thus, Jesus lived a perfect life of obedience to the Father. Not once did he complain. Not once did he entertain a sinful thought. Not once did he utter a sinful word. Not once did he have an impure motive. He always honored his Father. He never lusted. He never gossiped. He never slandered. He never stole. He submitted perfectly to God's every command, down to every jot and tittle. He loved the Lord with all of his heart, soul, strength, and mind, and he loved his neighbor as himself. That love was ultimately expressed by his death on the cross for your sin and mine. That sacrificial love, taking our guilt and our shame and our punishment, he is our sinless substitute. Sometimes when we watch the Olympics, uh, we marvel at how they perform, let's just say, Summer Olympics in gymnastics. And the way how uh, people can do like somersaults and backflips and all these crazy like human feats. I wouldn't even want to be a judge to sit there and try and catch all that because I can't even see it when they slow motion it. But the judges watch that, and they're watching for, obviously, how well they do it. And can get anywhere from incomplete, right, failure, to a 10. And it does happen every now and then, right, a 10? It's rare, but it happens, or really, really close to it. And when we see that, when I, at least when I watch that, I marvel. That's amazing that any human being can do that. Uh, can, can, can do that and get, get such high scores. It, it causes us to kind of admire a bit uh, what, what the, God has made the human body to be able to do. And I, I share that because if, if, if we marvel at those who achieve 
uh, what seems like perfection in, in the Olympic event, how much more should we marvel at Jesus Christ who was sinless? That's something worth admiring him for. <laughs> I can't go five seconds without sinning. Jesus went a lifetime without sinning. And if we marvel at that, we should marvel all the more when we recognize that this righteousness of Christ is ours by faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. The perfection of Christ is yours and mine by faith. So that perfect record that Christ kept, he's given it to you and I. And so that you and I, it's not just that he removed our dirty clothes, but he gave us clean clothes. It's not just that he pardoned our sin. We're not merely pardoned criminals, but we are beloved sons and daughters. I love the song that says, I will glory in my Redeemer. His faithfulness, my standing place. The foes are mighty and rush upon me. My feet are firm, held by his grace. Or the, the, the hymn, the Christmas hymn that we sometimes sing, O come, let us adore him. Adore him for his sinlessness. Adore him for his grace and his sacrifice on the cross for our sin. And adore him that in his grace he imputes to you or charges to your account his perfect righteousness. You are righteous in him by faith. Well, Jesus was conceived in the womb of the Virgin Mary by the Holy Spirit. What does that mean? That means we are saved by grace and not by works. The virgin birth, if, if it teaches anything, it teaches this. We can't save ourselves. It teaches that salvation is holy of God. We, we can't even produce our own Redeemer. The virgin birth points out the helplessness and powerlessness of, of humanity to initiate even the first step in the process. Th think about this. Joseph did nothing. Mary did nothing. I mean, they believe, but they do nothing to earn their salvation, right? They do nothing. God does it all. Amen. He sent the angel. He sent his spirit. He made the promise 700 years beforehand and many thousands of years before that to Eve. Uh, and, and lots, lots of other prophecies. So the virgin birth is a reminder that salvation is totally of God. And if it's totally of God, then it's grace. And I share that because maybe you came here this morning carrying a terrible load of sin. And you're wondering, why would God waste any time on a loser like me? And we remember the virgin birth. Yes, it is true that you were more sinful than you could bear if you had eyes to see your guilt. But here's the thing. God has eyes to see all of your sin. And in his grace, he sent his son to draw near to you and to save you. Jesus was conceived in the womb of the Virgin Mary supernaturally by the Holy Spirit. That means you can have salvation from sin. That means you can know him as Lord and Savior. That also means you can rest in the sovereignty of God. 
not your ability to understand what he's doing, but you can rest in the good, wise, and sovereign power of God. I hope you see hope in the virgin birth. There's hope. Perhaps you or someone you're, you're helping or, or know or someone in your family is in despair and, and confronting some very difficult situations. Maybe you're broken by the weight of terrible pain in your life. We can look to the virgin birth and remember nothing is impossible with God. Nothing. Nothing at all. And I think we can apply that to what we're doing today with, with the brainstorming session. You may be wondering why today, in the midst of the virus, are we brainstorming and planning and dreaming about how to increase ministry to our community? And it's because of passages like this. It's because of the virgin birth. It's because of the power of God and how God has called you and I to have a salt and light influence Light is not for hiding. And salt is not for, as, as that old saying goes, keeping in the salt shaker. We need to get out of the salt shaker and into the world. And all around us, people are looking for help and hope. And we have it in the Lord Jesus Christ. We have it in Him and we can make a difference that can't be ignored. And the way we can do this is getting out of the salt shaker. And we get out of the salt shaker because we believe in the sovereignty of God. In a God who has raised this church up for such a time like this. Amen. It's not an accident uh, that we're here today and the gifts that he's given us, the resources that he's given us. It's not an accident. Uh, he has a plan and a purpose. And he is the almighty God. And we go forth in confidence with him. So if the praise team wants to start making their way up, uh, I, I hope what we're hearing and seeing this morning is that the virgin birth is not an abstract doctrine. It's not something to, in the ivory tower theologians to talk about or, or simply to be uh, relegated to the month of December. I hope you're seeing uh, that the virgin birth, uh, it's very, very practical, isn't it? Very, very rich, very, 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 very powerful. And that compromise is not an option. It is a closed fist issue. Orangeville Baptist Church, do you believe it? Amen. Amen.